Welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm Nicole North and I'm your host. This season on At The Whiteboard, we're focusing on everything leadership, learning, and development. We have a ton of great guests ready to share their knowledge. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Hello and welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm Nicole North, your host, and I am joined by whom I call my musical laughter person, Sumana Jetty. Welcome, Sumana. Hi, Nicole. How are you today? I am so fabulous. I was just telling Sumana before we started recording that I took my walk, which is my way of clearing my brain and keeping myself um, focused and clear and not burnt out. Um, so I am feeling fabulous. How are you doing today? You know, I am exactly feeling the way that you're feeling. I was able to get my workout done. It was really gloomy and like thunderstormy here in Edmonton. And the sun just came out and it's looking so beautiful. And I would love to go outside for a walk, but I'm just so tired from my workout that I may not go out today. And that's okay. <laughs> that is a-okay. It's always just about, I've really, I think the pandemic has totally taught me the power of movement in improving your mood, your mindset, your energy. Um, you know, I used to just try and get all my energy from the, the, the next cup of coffee. And now when I'm really feeling kind of um, tired and I just want to say, oh, I just want to like take a break this afternoon and watch some Netflix, which is also totally okay. I always say, let me go for a walk first and see what that does. You know, I, I totally agree with you. I think that for us now, having gone through or still in it, we're still in this like major trauma, major chaos that we're experiencing. I don't really like to be very rigid with rules on wellness. I feel like whatever you want to do today, and if you have made a decision to go for a walk every day, but the weather isn't, you know, all that great and you did something else, I don't think we should feel guilty about not going for that walk because that movement was done. I even took the stairs back up. Uh, I didn't take the elevator, so I'm feeling pretty good. And we really should be a little bit more flexible and kind and gentle to ourselves when it comes to, you know, taking care of our bodies, taking care of our wellness, and just taking care of ourselves. There really should be no rules. That's what I say, no rules. Just do whatever makes you happy. <laughs> I love it. And I think it takes time to establish what makes you happy, what makes you feel. And, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit so that we don't get too carried away because I have way too many amazing questions for you, Sumana. So, um, and I'm excited for your amazing answers. But, you know, we were talking earlier again about building habits. And, you know, I think it takes some time to build some habits that then you know, I used to think, so I was telling you about doing the 75 hard challenge and I'll be flat out and admit it. And I'd say I've never completed it. My husband just completed it, but I've not done the full thing, but I do do a lot of the components of that challenge. So for those people that don't know, it's a gallon of water, follow an, an eating plan of some sort, and then, a, a, you know, no cheating on that meal plan, no alcohol, um, you read 10 pages of a book every day, you take a progress photo every day, and you do two workouts that are 45 minutes each, one outdoors, one indoors, 
And uh, that goes for 75 days. I don't think I missed anything, but that's this program. Look it up, hashtag 75 hard. There's a million different podcasts and things about it. There's an app, there's everything. But I will say that the cool thing about the program that I got out of it is that in the first 10, 15, 20, 30, maybe even 40 days, working out was a, I have to do it. Mm. And once you hit now, I've been probably following the majority of the premises of this since July, not necessarily to the full extent, but now I treat it as I get to walk outside and I need to walk outside and not from a rules perspective, more of a, I know this is what would makes me feel great. And that's why I do it. I do it for me to feel great. And I don't worry about the pressure. If I really can't do it or really not in the mood for it, that's okay too. But there's a very different perspective after this 75 days and, and now hundreds of days later um, that makes me feel very different about hopping on the Peloton or going for my walk. That's very different from I have to, to it's a, I get to. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, you know, speaking of uh, these rules and being a little bit more fluid with them, when I, um, you know, when I was going through a burnout, this was many years ago, I remember the recovery process, but I, I made a rule because I live pretty close to where I used to work. So it's about a 15 minute walk. So I would walk to work every day. I would walk home. There was a reason that I you know chose this condo building because I wanted to be close enough to work. Um, and then right after work, this was pre-burnout, I would go to the gym. I loved working out in the afternoons, uh, in the evenings, and I would do that and come home. But um, during my burnout and in that recovery process, I just didn't want to be in the office at all. There was something that was like, I've got to get out of this work space and give myself like a midday break. So I started coming home for lunch. So now this is like multiple times a day. I'm going to the office. I'm walking there. I'm walking back home for lunch. I'm walking back to the office after lunch. I'm walking back home after lunch. And I did that, Nicole, every day for a whole year. I kid you not, rain, snow, heat, <laughs> wind. <laughs> it didn't matter. I did it every day because that was, it became kind of like you said, it was a need. I, I needed that. It, it felt nice to leave the workspace to go for this 15 minute walk. And of course, you know, my lunch was cut short, but I was mentally prepared to, I would still pack my lunch. I just wouldn't take it with me. I would just leave it in the fridge. I would come home, warm it up, eat it. And then I would be out of the door immediately. Um, and the only other adjustment I had to make was to let my teens know that, hey, I'm going to be back at one o'clock. But if I'm a little bit late, I would love it if the 1 p.m. meetings are not at 1 p.m. Can we just give me a bit of buffer? Give me, you know, until 1.15. So I just would had that conversation with my team that I could possibly be late if the elevators were busy. I'm on the 24th floor. So it was, you know, it's a bit of a rough time and during lunch hours. So I guess that what I wanted to, to share was when you start doing activities from the perspective of, I want to do this because it's going to make me feel good versus I have to do this because oh gosh, this is a challenge or my trainer told me or the internet is telling me or whatever that may be, you, that, that perspective and the mind shift changes when you start really doing it for your own benefit 
And I said, I'm going to do this every day. And it wasn't like a challenge. It was just something like, I just want to go home for lunch. Uh, it's going to be nice to get out of the office. And I saved a lot of money because I was not spending any money at, you know, uh, having lunch or going for these like mini coffee breaks. But I also, it also allowed me to listen to a podcast on my walk home and really decompress. So the afternoon portion of the work hour, I was super energized. I don't know how you feel about that, but it just like completely changed the way that I worked. Yes, yes, yes. Everything, everything to what you said. And I love that idea of the shift of going from, you know, I have to do this or I have to do this to lose weight or I have to do this to get fit or I have to do this because they say to this shift in your mind that says, I like to do this because this makes me feel good. This gives me a mental break. This does whatever energizes me, whatever it does. So I love that. I love it. <laughs> makes me feel good. I think that should be the the motto, right? Like do what makes you feel good without the pressure of, um, you know, and, and that's why I have a bit of a hard time with challenges. I think challenges are great to get you kind of pumped up and amped up and motivated. But uh, the guilt and, you know, self-scolding that sometimes comes with not being able to complete the challenge can almost like push you back uh, further. So I, I think you should take it with a grain of salt and say, I, I'm going to do the best I can with the 75 days or the 30 days or 60 days, whatever your challenge is, and be a little bit flexible with your, with your goals and be a little bit flexible and gentle and kind to yourself. <laughs> I do love that. And I did have big issue with the, especially with 75 hard, it is a a failure base. So as soon as you miss any one of the tasks on the list, you fail and return back to day one. And I often thought, um, you know, was that kind of messaging counterproductive? Did it make people fail and then fall off a wagon and then behave even more poorly? And I think that for me, that is why I continue. I just kind of kept on. If I failed, I just kind of kept on. I didn't think of it as restarting. I just kept moving along and, and made these part of my habits, the ones that really gave me joy and made me feel good. Um, and I dropped the ones that made me stressed and didn't make me feel good. And, you know, I would it's interesting, the drinking the gallon of water was one that seemed to be forever the one I was sitting there in bed chugging like a liter and a half of water <laughs> yeah and then having to pee all night and so <laughs> that was I dropped and didn't focus on I think I dropped to like two liters of water a day or whatever it was and recently I decided to bring back in that third liter um, I created a new strategy to make it happen because, again, it made me feel better, made me act less or go looking for things in the fridge randomly in the middle of the day. So it's very interesting how the habits of this challenge have kind of, um, I'm kind of making a wave motion. They've kind of come in and gone out. Um, but overall, I found it really impactful. So yeah, I agree. I got on a sidebar with that. <laughs> mostly for us to talk about you. Tell us about you and tell us about Wellness Shots and what you do. Oh, absolutely. I'll be delighted to tell you about myself. <laughs> 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 so I'm from Alberta, Canada, and I have spent my whole life in public health. 
and infectious diseases. So I, I went to UBC for my undergraduate degree and then went back to UBC for my graduate degree in public health. And I've worked in a lab, um, you know, extracting DNA from viruses and working with bacteria. So I've been in the world of vaccine preventable diseases and, and infectious diseases, uh, you know, basically my whole life. And um, about two years ago, I would say uh, 2021, yeah, probably three years ago, I, when I was in grad school, um, it's a weird story, but I was in grad school and I realized that there was this moment where I realized that, am I doing the right thing? You know, they made us do like this weird assessment. The entire cohort had to like fill out this really long questionnaire with like 200 questions or something like that in our first sort of semester. And, you know, it was basically to understand if which dimension of public health are you going to be a good fit at and what's your you know personality and your career is going to be like. It was just kind of a good activity for us to do. A mandatory assessment, by the way. So we all did it. And my assessment was shockingly different from everybody else's assessment. The, the top three career choices for me based on my assessment was to be a venture capitalist, <laughs> to be um, in sales and marketing, or to do social work. And, <laughs> and the job that I was doing, which was the manager of infectious disease, epidemiology, and surveillance was like number 98. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what am I doing with my life? Am I in the wrong job? And I just remember laughing so hard at telling my friends that I think I, I don't know why I'm doing this, this master's degree, but I am probably in the wrong job. Uh, I just have to figure that out. Anyways, uh, long story short, I, I did complete the master's pro program and then I started uh, Wellness Shots because I wanted to find a way to um, having been through burnout myself and noticing in my organization, the old organization that I was working in, and even one before that, I was noticing a lot of workplace wellness challenges between leaders and employees. And since I've been in a management role, I started noticing that as a leader myself, that, you know, there is a huge gap between talking about wellness in the workplace, the programs that human resources are offering, and the solutions that, you know, individuals in the company are adapting to. So wellness shots basically just got born, like literally in the middle of the pandemic. Um, some people thought I was making a huge mistake because I was working a full-time job in like right smack in the middle of the pandemic, working on COVID. And I started thinking about a way to leave that world in, a, in, in as much as it sounds really weird to say that but I wanted to leave that world because um, burnout became a very important topic you know three or four months into being in the pandemic and the solutions that I offer are based on outcome-based strategies right I want businesses to identify that each business has its own unique barriers and having been through a graduate program in public health and having experienced my career in healthcare, I really want to make sure that the solutions that I'm offering are grounded in science, um, have the data and the validity that science can bring, that you know, um, research can bring, and also the empathy and compassion 
that leaders need, and you and I talk about this all the time in your room, as well as that empathy and compassion that we should be looking for when we are having these conversations about wellness in the workplace and um, burnout, very difficult things to talk about, mind you, but that's what Wellness Shots is all about and how it came to be. It's been over, over a year now and about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, I quit my job and I said, this needs my full-time attention. I need to be devoted to this, you know, this, this company, this idea, this um, solution-based um, venture. And I want to be able to provide those solutions in just a really playful way because I just have a really playful personality and I didn't want to be sitting and giving you another lecture about, hey, you know, let's talk about wellness. but trying to bring that research and science and data in a playful way. So Wellness Shots by brand is just a playful brand that is allowing um, companies to have those strategies to overcome burnout, to overcome some of those wellness challenges. That's Wellness Shots. <laughs> it's so wonderful. I absolutely love your story and I love uh, if you can't tell, I love Sumana and her musical laugh. I think you bring so much joy um, to the work that you're doing and you make it so much fun. Um, Sumana's videos about wellness and burnout and what that looks like, sounds like, and feels like are all done through awesome videos. And I, I think it's just so, so wonderful. Um, so I'd like to touch a little bit on like, is burnout a 2020, 21 thing? Or has it been here all along? No, actually, burnout has been uh, around since the 70s. It was, um, there was um, a psychologist or a psychoanalyst, I think his name was um, Herbert Frodenberger, who basically, you know, identified burnout as a workplace-related stress syndrome, right? That's what they used to call it in the 70s. And it was very common um, in any career that would be, uh, you know, physicians, nurses, social workers, teachers, any profession that required you to like take care of someone, right? So healthcare workers, you know, people like me, people who are on the front line, uh, for us, burnout has been in our terminology for, for years. In fact, they used to you know, talk about it in lectures as like, oh, keep an eye on burnout. But, but what has happened? A shift in 2019 when the World Health Organization basically changed the definition and put it in as like an occupational phenomenon and they gave it a definition, they gave it an ICD code, which is your International Classification of Disorders code. And now if you go to your doctor and if you say, I'm experiencing these symptoms, there's a test you can do, uh, you know, just like there's a depression test, there's a test that you can do that identifies, you know, what level of burnout you're experiencing. And your physician will code that code in the medical system and say, this person is, is experiencing burnout. So for us, for me, Personally, I've heard the word, you know, basically my whole life, but for a lot of people in not in healthcare, I don't think it's 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 been a bit, it's a little bit of a newer term. Uh, it's catching up in the mainstream more so now than ever before. And I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, like the feelings of, you know, energy depletion, the feelings of, um, you know, negativity and, and cynicism and just the feelings of not having efficacy in your job. It can be 
it can seem like it's a workplace related thing only, but the burnout definition, and I, and I think WHO is thinking to expand it and change it, it goes beyond just workplace. It goes into you know us having to deal with the pandemic, us having to deal with Zoom burnout, us having to deal with caregiver burnout, relationship burnout, there's a lot of different ways that you can identify burnout. And, um, you know, I really hope that in the next couple of years that the WHO will change the definition to kind of make this kind of more cohesive. So we're all able to recognize that isn't it, this isn't just a workplace thing, which a lot of people seem to think that it is just a workplace thing. That's so interesting. And I, I, you know, of course, we all knew about stress management and stressed and being stressed out. But it's true, you know, this the term burnout has only become, so to speak, mainstream in the last little while. And I would say it seems particularly um, brought to the forefront because of the pandemic. So, you know, what impact will this new notion, you know, I, I'm thinking of 21, 2021, 2022, and as we move into hybrid work arrangements, people coming back to the office. Um, how will this notion of hybrid work and change impact um, people and their responses to burnout? You know, the way that I, I just posted something today on, on LinkedIn, which was because I like to look at the trends and I've been following the burnout trend for a really long time now. And over the last year, so, you know, so Google Trends has a has a you know graphic where you put a search term and it tells you, you know, how that search term is doing over the last 12 months, last 24 months around the world, your specific country. So you can really kind of play with it to see what's happening. So I've been keeping an eye on the word burnout for a little while now, and it has been consistently you know, high on the Google search term and the trends because it is catching up. It is something that a lot of people are experiencing, which means that they're going into Google and they're typing the word burnout and then whatever else the other search term is, which is like symptoms or burnout, do I have it? Burnout, how am I going to feel? Burnout signs, burnout, you know, treatment. So I predict that as we are moving in this direction of learning and educating ourselves about burnout you know employee health and wellness is, is 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 needs to be the top priority but it will continue to gain momentum in the years to come and even right now and compassionate leadership is super duper important when we're thinking about this hybrid work environment is how can we get leaders you know how can we bring them to the table and have these vulnerable, open, and honest conversations with them and figure out a way where perhaps someone has just recovered from burnout and uh, is feeling a little bit better versus the other individual who is like, I'm right smack in the middle of it. I don't know what to do. So as leaders, you know, you really need, to, we really need to find solutions where we can come together and have these really difficult conversations and and i think i mentioned in your in your clubhouse room this morning is not just be sending another email and telling your employees to go do another training watch another training video no 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 let's let's sit down and talk about this and let's figure out what are these customizable solutions that are going to work for you your solution nicole 
might be very different from my solution. What works for me may not work for you, which is why with wellness shots, I always say that these outcome-based solutions and strategies that I will provide are going to be unique to your organizational barriers and not just a cookie cutter solution that, you know, it's going to work for the whole community. Um, as much as I say that community health is super important, and as we are moving through this trajectory of burnout and recovery and prevention, um, you know, healthy communities really just starts from us identifying our own personal needs and our own personal solutions. That's so amazing. And, I, you know, we talked this morning a bit uh, through a post um, where someone said the revolution is coming, the revolution is coming where people are now, now that we are starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel and there's less fear-based um, decision-making on whether you stay with an organization or leave, you know, people are gonna start leaving and looking for those compassionate leaders. They are gonna start looking for the leaders that can help support them through burnout or prevent it altogether who help you know, lead with a wellness um, leadership style in mind. And so I think um, this work that you are doing is more and more important. And if leaders and organizations don't get on board, you're going to lose your talented people. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a hard time hiring new people because new people are, are going to be less on the side of, ooh, I hope I get this job to um, let me interview you and make sure you're the leader I want to work for. Make sure that you're creating the environment that is one that is safe for me. You know, creating an environment that is that supports and enhances my wellness, not diminishes it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's so important to, especially for high performers and people who are, uh, perfectionists, you know, I'm not one. I, I let go of that many years ago, especially when I was in grad school. I had very limited time. Time was like my biggest currency that I was like, I've got to get all this stuff done. I have a full-time job. I have full-time graduate program requirements that I need to fulfill. And, you know, you also want to get a decent grade, not that grades mattered all that much. Our community was so good in grad school that the learning style was so different. We learned through seminars and debates and discussions and having conversations on like this online platform that we used. But I remember thinking that I, I cannot spend two hours writing a post, which is supposed to be 200 words. This post needs to be written in 30 minutes as I'm waiting to board the plane to go to Vancouver or while I'm on the plane leaving, you know, going to Vancouver. So it's got to happen in this little cycle because I do not have the time so I really developed this I, this notion that if there's a little typo here and there, or if my you know post isn't like accurate, um, you know, for a lack of a better word, like yeah, I'm I'm reading a research paper and I'm giving you a summary of it. But if I make a mistake, if it's not perfect, it's okay. It's okay if it's not perfect. The idea of the post was to bring about a dialogue, and sometimes the dialogue could be like, hey, Sumana, you missed a comma. I'm okay with that. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, you know, I guess I'm sure there, and you can probably speak to this even more, is that there are there increased notions of burnout with those high achievers, type A, 
you know, uh, personality types versus the others, right? And that must be an, an interesting component of the work. Mm-hmm. And it's very common. I mean, we don't really like to, there's been a lot of research studies that have identified that, yes, high performers and perfectionists and people that have really strong work ethics are the first ones to burn out. And the first ones also to ignore the symptoms of burnout. Hey, man, I'm one of them. I was the first one to ignore all the symptoms, all the minor symptoms that kept creeping up. And then by the time I identified the major symptoms, I was really, really unwell. And even then, and even at that point, I was unwilling to let go because in the back of my mind, I was like, well, if I'm not there, how is my team going to function? If I'm not there, who is going to go to this meeting and who is going to present at that, you know, MOH, um, uh, you know, conference. So there's a lot of that self um, uh, sacrificing, um, you know, behaviors that we put. It was just my tendency to be like, I've got to solve everybody's problems. And I realized soon enough that that can't be it. And after going through it, I had a very blunt conversation with my team. And I said, I'm going to be gone for a little while. You guys are on your own. I trust you that the training that I have provided will help you sustain the team for three months. I'll be back in three months by Christmas. And then we'll take off, you know, we'll pick up where we left off. But that was a very difficult conversation, a very emotional conversation. And I remember just weeping through that because I felt so much guilt for leaving a workplace. And it's really funny when I think about it now, not funny, like, haha, funny, but funny as in like, wait a minute, was I that naive that I was unwilling to put my health first? Uh, that is is shocking. And a lot of people do that, right? We do not want to put our health first. And the one comment that my physician told me, like stuck in my head, and he's like a super awesome family physician. He basically told me straight up and he said, Sumana, if you don't stop and take a break, because uh, you're so far into your burnout now, there's going to be irreversible health damage. Is that what you want? And the answer to that question was, no, I do not want that. I do not want irreversible health damage. What does that even mean? Right? We can, you know, people get, um, you know, gastrointestinal problems, IBS, um, heart hypertension, you know, chronic headaches, chronic shoulder pain. All of these things become chronic. And if you don't stop and take care of your health and your wellness first, then there is really no going back. Right. And that and that was a very big lesson I had to learn very quickly is that, oh, no way, no way. My health comes first. Absolutely not. So I, I want leaders and people listening to understand that you really do get one shot at living your best life. Your one shot at living your healthiest, your most well life. So keep an eye on those symptoms and keep an eye on what makes you feel the best version of you. And, you know, if you got to step away, you got to step away and that's okay. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. And so now I'm going to bring another, you know, if burnout wasn't the number one catchphrase of uh, 2021, then Zoom fatigue is. So tell us about the, the correlation between Zoom fatigue and burnout. How do we know which one we're experiencing and, and what's what? Um, you know, the, the difference I would say is that Zoom fatigue brings on a, a completely different kind of, of symptoms, right? We're looking at a computer all day long. We're losing the face-to-face interaction. 
we're losing a lot of those nonverbal communications that were that are natural to us in our natural environment. And we're also losing the the gestures. Like even right now, like I'm moving my hands, but you can't see it, right? I talk with my hands a lot. So a lot of that, um, all of those um, components that are part of what I would say our social wellness, because I talk about the eight dimensions of wellness and our social wellness are basically like taken away. So when you, we are seeing a lot of these, um, you know, and, and the other thing that Zoom fatigue also brings up, brings about, which is a little bit different from burnout because you're working and, you know, doing things that are beyond your capacity is that with, with Zoom, there is a lot of that cognitive um, load because you are basically sitting in the same spot. Like how often do you see people grab their computers and walk around? They don't. They're either hardwired to their internet because they want to make sure their Zoom doesn't have any disruptions or they feel like I've got to just sit really, really still and stare at this little black, you know, uh, video camera uh, or at myself or at the people around me. And I'm not even sure if I'm making eye contact with them. And it's so bad that it honestly really, you know, challenges our cognition and our uh, perception of what social wellness is and I think that's what's different about zoom fatigue versus burnout where and when burnout you can your colleague may come up to your desk and say hey are you okay can I you know help you with something and you could choose to accept it or neglect it but on zoom your colleague may message you and say hey do you need help and you could just choose to ignore that message and you've missed all the nonverbal verbal cues you don't know if you're actually not well i remember when people used to come to my office all the time i'm the social butterfly people would come and have these conversations with me and they would pick up on those things that would make me feel like oh that was a really bad meeting things didn't go well but on zoom i could just shut my computer and no one would know no one would know Right, right. So interesting. So when we talk about burnout and, and Zoom, you know, let's focus on burnout. So how should organizations tackle learning and development? I mean, that's something that I'm so focused on with my clients. How do we do learning, training, you know, adding kind of an additional piece onto people's plates? How do we tackle that in a world of burnout? That's a really good question. And I've been thinking about, you know, that for a little while now, since you and I have been talking about it. And I think there's a couple different things that people can try. The first one being that give people, you know, give your teams the opportunity and the options to pick and choose what learning modality works for them. Do you want something that is a pre-programmed uh, you know, course where you can just hit a computer, watch it uh, at your own pace, or just listen to it, you don't have to even watch it? Uh, is that what you wanna do? Do you prefer more of the you know, face-to-face, um, not face-to-face -face, as in like in the, I would say Zoom, but more like a real-time Zoom meeting where someone's there, training with you so you're learning and having a dialogue and a discussion or are you the type of person that prefers audio only you know do you prefer to just put on your airpods get out of the house go for a walk and learn as you are walking uh, let me tell you i prefer the third option for me of 90 percent of my learning that i'm doing right now for wellness shots and the research that i do sure i do i read a lot because i a lot of the research is not available in the audio format all the papers that i read are just on the computer but when i'm learning self-development strategies i'm 
always doing audio-based learning. And I also prefer it when I had signed up for this um, trial thing with um, an organization here in Edmonton for mental health awareness, where every day they would send you a text message with like these really positive affirmations. And there was a time in my life when I was going through a really difficult, dark time. And, you know, getting that text message every day was so nice. I would look at it. I'm like, oh, that's nice. You know, it just kind of uplifted me for that a few minutes, for a few seconds. And if I fell down throughout the day, I would grab my phone and take a look at that message as well. It also helped me to do something. The text message would say, hey, you know, uh, did you, um, you know, go grab your favorite, um, you know, soda today and go drink that. Great. I'll go grab my drink and I'll go drink that. So little things like that, I would say, is to give people the options and invite them to choose what they like and have those, um, again, cust customizable programs versus you only have this. I don't think that's going to work, Nicole. Giving people just one solution is not going to work in this Asian time. I am so happy you said that because that is what we're seeing in the L&D world in the learning space that people were, you know, are wanting to democratize their learning. Mm -hmm. Like I choose whether sitting on the Zoom call is what lights me up. Uh, you know, that's maybe what works for me or do I learn just as much watching a passive video or can I select this method? And I love your idea of audio and text is something we've also been really working with, with our partners over at Arist to, you know, include text message learning for those that might be in a space where an online zoom class or another online training, or maybe even audio training is too much for them, but they can get something from a quick, text and you know a quick thing that says here are three tools to collaborate with others better today and that's it make it short make it simple give people choice um so i think that's so wonderful and so now i have kind of a a question that i can't even believe i'm asking but when should organizations pull the plug on their learning plans oh gosh like all the learning plans <laughs> You know, I, I I don't I think learning should for me education is like my number one sort of value. I always think that people should always be learning every single day, and it's so weird that right after grad school, I was so delighted that grad school was done. I don't have to do any more learning. I'm so done. And kid you not, you know, three weeks later, I'm like, oh my god, I miss learning. I miss studying. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the challenge of keeping my brain, you know, active in some way. So I think the, the learning needs to be part of every organizational um, foundation. You know, they, they need to be able to provide all of the different strategies, like the ones you've mentioned, the ones I've talked about, and, and keep, promote, keep promoting learning, uh, but give people the choice and the option so they pick and choose what learning you know, matches their lifestyle. I think that's the difference now. For me, I know that I like audio-based learning, you know, sometime. I do, I do not actually even like reading books as much, which is so terrible. All of my stuff is like audiobooks. I can listen to a whole book on my phone, but I, you know, give me a, an actual book to read. It will take me like maybe a month to finish the book. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. So I don't think we should pull the plug on learning. <laughs> learning should always be part of our our day-to-day. I love it. And I think the key is that if you do consistent learning 365 days a year, 
then you don't have to pull the plug on a big overbearing five-day leadership program, 10-day leadership program. I think that's the big kind of aha and change that has come out of um, the pandemic is, you know, maybe we just do leadership training every day and maybe it's a text or an audio bite or a quick video and we, we have that habit. Oh, well, maybe we did make a connection to the early part of the conversation. <laughs> it a habit to do something every day, read one page, look at one video, listen to one podcast, watch one thing, whatever it might be that suits you and just keep doing it and make that a habit of learning every day rather than these focused, intensive pieces of learning that can be stressful and, you know, can, can take a lot out of people. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the only other, you know, comment that I I'd probably want to add to this is, you know, when <laughs> in, in government and in corporate, they, they do these, you know, learning, we, I know for me, let me just say for me personally, we were given as managers, certain things that had to be done within our, um, you know, cycle, our performance evaluation cycle, a fiscal year, you have to get all of this stuff done. And 99% of us, including me at the time, I'd wait until the last minute when I'm like, oh gosh, the fiscal year is up and we would like hurry through all of the modules because it had to be done by February or March and we would just kind of get it done as a task versus what you just said, hey, as part of your management training, you need to do one day of reading every single day. Here's a bite-sized audio piece that you can learn to improve your management skills, your leadership skills. That would be way more useful than us rushing through finishing, you know, this 30 day module and being like, oh gosh, I got to go through like a hundred slides. Oh, let's just get through them. I want to be done with it so I can get my certificate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, Sumana, who is your ideal client and what can you do for them? My ideal client would be a small or medium sized um, healthcare organization, a healthcare facility, a healthcare business, or even a um, educational um, organization, right? Anybody who's interested in wanting to learn about burnout and wanting to learn about strategies that are research-based, bite-sized, and enjoy the playfulness that I bring to the table. Like if that is what well, that would be the per the perfect uh, client I would like to work with is you're invested in your wellness, you've noticed these challenges, and you're in healthcare because I'm in healthcare. I understand healthcare, but I also love education, like I said. So merging those two would be like my ideal client. So basically, you, you will, you and I together would be my ideal client. <laughs> and yes, and I definitely I have Sumana on a bunch of projects that I. Uh, looking to work on because I want to bring a bit of this to every client that I work with because I think it is so important. You know, I'm so keen on this idea of graceful, compassionate leadership, and I want to give leaders the tools about how they can do this with their teams effectively. And Sumana's data-based and scientific approach is just so great, and it's fun. And it's relaxed and you make, and you know, I, I always talk about your magical laugh because I think it is, it is like, it's like wind chimes. It just brings light and life to any space. 
So my last question for you, Simone, is where can people find you and your magical laugh? Oh, thank you so much, Nicole. You're so you're so kind. Um, people can find me on LinkedIn as uh, Samana Jetty. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, you know, Wellness Shots. Um, I think my handle is S Jetty Wellness, basically on all social media, and I'm also on TikTok. Mostly, primarily, these three platforms are my main places that I'm there almost every single day. Amazing. Well, Sumana, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, and I say that, you know, with all of my podcast guests, um, but especially you, because I, again, you bring so much joy to the work that you do and so much authenticity and vulnerability. Um, you know, everyone, everyone needs a little bit of Sumana in their work life. <laughs> thank you so much, Nicole. It's been my pleasure. I'm so happy that I met you on Clubhouse and I share the same thoughts with you as well. When I first heard your voice, I've never met this wonderful, amazing woman. and I'd love to meet her one day. But when I first heard your voice, there was just something about you that I was immediately attracted to. I was like, I want to get to know Nicole. Like you are, you're just so determined, so compassionate and everything you say like just resonates with me so deeply. So I'm thankful to you, my friend. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm, I'm just, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Samana. Talk soon. Okay. Ciao. Thanks for joining us at Ot the Whiteboard. We've had an amazing time with you here today. If you want to keep up to date with everything that At the Whiteboard podcast is doing, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Whiteboard Consult or on our website at www.whiteboardconsulting.ca. Talk soon.